Good morning, everyone. My name's Blake Switzer. I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway. We're glad you're here, uh, whether you're here in person or joining us online. We're, we're, we're glad you're here today. Uh, last week, we looked at a remarkable story in the Bible of the power of Christ to transform lives, both for now and for eternity. Uh, if you weren't here with us, we looked at the story of a man who was paralyzed, and he was carried to Jesus by four people who were going to get him there at whatever cost, even when that meant tearing a hole in the roof and lowering him down. And when Jesus saw this paralyzed man, he said something that is almost too incredible to believe. He looked at him and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then he went on to heal him and to prove that he had authority to forgive sins. He healed him. Just an absolutely remarkable account of what Christ did. Today, we're going to continue on and read the very next story that comes right after the record of the healing of this man who was paralyzed. Last week, we were in Mark's gospel. This time, we're going to be in Matthew. It's, they, they, they both tell the same story, but I want you to turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 9. This story might seem a little less dramatic, but it would have been, especially in that culture, just as remarkable for Jesus to do what he did and said what he, what he had to say here. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat? with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a, phys of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The, the man who was healed right before this, the paralyzed man, would have been poor because those in that day who had disabilities like this were not able to work. They had to depend on the generosity of other people. Matthew is on the other end of the spectrum. He would have been very wealthy, but he also would have been despised by everyone because everybody hated tax collectors. It's, it's not too hard to figure that out if you read through Scripture and, and see the way that term is used. Even a casual reading of Scripture shows that. I mean, Jesus is criticized in this passage. Why do, your, why do you eat? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus used tax collectors as an example of those that everybody else knew were more despised than anyone else. Uh, for example, Luke chapter 18, he gives this story of a Pharisee and a tax collector that are praying. And the Pharisee is very self-righteous. The tax collector prays and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus is using the tax collector as the example of how to be right with God. But he's more concerned about the heart than anything else. But he uses tax collector because that's the one that was more despised than anybody else. Uh, and then you get into Matthew 18, where there's some instruction Jesus gives about those that are uh, have fallen out of line. They're not living the way they should. And what's the responsibility of the church and going to them? And eventually, after you go through this process, if there's no sign of repentance, he says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Because this is the worst, right? These were the worst people. And it's easy to understand that. I mean, nobody likes paying taxes, right? 
But you add on top of that the fact that they are paying taxes to the oppressive Roman Empire. The Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be freed from the oppression of Rome. So paying taxes, funding the government of the ones that they despise, not something people are excited about. And then add to that the fact that the tax collectors were Jewish people. These are locals who are hired by the Romans to tax collect taxes from their own people. So they were considered to be traitors against God. They were considered to be traitors against their nation. Everybody hated the tax collectors. And on top of that, as I said a moment ago, they most of the, often were wealthy because they were required to collect a certain amount to give to Rome. Anything that they could get beyond that, they used to line their own pockets. So they would extort their own people. Everybody hated tax collectors. Now, it's maybe not quite to that level in our culture, but we can relate a little bit. You meet somebody for the first time, you're having a casual conversation with them, you say, what do you do? And they say, I'm an auditor for the IRS. Now, honestly, is there not going to be something inside you that just kind of cringes a little bit when you hear that, right? Fair or unfair, uh, that's just a reality. Now, this was much worse. And by the way, if anybody in here is an auditor for the IRS, we love you. We're glad, we're, we're glad you're here. <laughs> May not be fair. But in this case, these are traitors. And yet Jesus comes to Matthew. In fact, verse 9 says, As he passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. A man called Matthew. One of the things you might notice if you read this account in Mark or Luke both of them refer, to, it's the same story, it's obvious from the details, the same story. Jesus calls someone named Levi, son of Alphaeus. Different name. Why is it a different name? The word Matthew, that name Matthew means gift of God. And I suspect what happened to Levi is exactly what happened to Simon. Just as Simon's name was changed to Peter because it means the rock, Levi's name was changed to Matthew. It means gift of God. Now this is the same person who is writing the gospel here. So it makes total sense that he would refer to himself by the name given to him that, that means gift of God, right? Maybe Jesus gave him that name. We, there's no record of that, but it's quite possible. Just as he changed Simon's name to Peter, he may have changed Levi's name to Matthew. But same guy, same story. We don't know how he met Jesus, but we do know that when Jesus came by and said, follow me, he got up and followed him. I suspect this is not the first time he had ever seen Jesus. Maybe he had been observing him for a while. We don't know what led to his decision to follow Christ. But we can surmise that Matthew, doing what he did, he was a tax collector. Tax collectors are not the kinds of people that are going to make a decision on a whim, Right? And he certainly isn't going to leave wealth and all those things behind just casually without giving any thought to it. I suspect Matthew was very detailed in his thinking and strategic, and he knew what he was doing, and he decided to follow Jesus. Now, looking at this passage, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about some things we can learn about the character of Jesus from his interaction with Matthew and, and interaction at his home and then I also want to touch on a couple of things we can learn from Matthew that would be helpful for us as well. Let's start with Jesus. First thing I see in this passage is that Jesus welcomes everyone. He welcomes everyone. 
Verse 10 says that he reclined at table in the house. That means that not only did he call Matthew and say, I want you to come follow me. He actually went home with him. He went to have dinner with him. When he gets to Matthew's home, there are other tax collectors there. There are other sinful people there. Jesus is having dinner with the most despised people in that culture. And he welcomes every one of them. Because Jesus welcomes everyone. Notice how he responds to the criticism. The Pharisees say, how could you do this? How could you eat with these people? Verse 12. When he heard it said, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. What a classic response. Why did Jesus come? Jesus didn't come for those who were well. He came for those who were sick. Now, there's a lot of irony in this because the truth is we're all sick. Spiritually, he's talking about spiritual illness here. We are all sinful. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, who's that? Everybody in this room, certainly me included, and everybody who's ever walked the face of the earth except for Jesus. Sin is anything that we say, do, or think that falls short of God's standard. So anytime we're not perfect, that qualifies us as sinful. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. The irony in that is the Pharisees thought they were the righteous. They thought they had it all figured out. They followed the laws of the Old Testament. They even created hundreds of their own laws that weren't in the Bible. And they followed them. That's what they were all about. And because they thought they were righteous, they didn't think they needed a doctor. Not very often do people who are well go to the doctor, right? I mean, maybe occasionally for a wellness checkup or something like that. But generally speaking, those who are sick are the ones who go see a doctor. Well, some of them. (laughs) I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are like, I don't ever go to the doctor. Doesn't matter how sick I am, what's going on, I am not going to the doctor. There, There are some people like that, and that can be for a couple of reasons. One, you're male. <laughs> no, maybe that's, sorry, a little overgeneralization there. But it could be because you try to, have you ever done this before? Like, I don't think I'm really sick. You know, maybe I just didn't sleep well last night. You know, you're running 104 fever. But like, I'm going to be fine. Or you think, well, I'll just get over it. You know, I'll be okay. I don't need to go to the doctor because I can get better on my own. Who can doctors help? Only those people that come to them, Right? Those people that are willing to come, that are willing to do what they say, then there's opportunity for them to help them. Jesus is saying, look, I came as a physician, a spiritual physician, to treat those who are sick. But if you're not willing to acknowledge that you're sick, or if you know you're sick but you're not willing to come to me, even Jesus can't do anything for them. There's a lot, lot of irony in there because all of us are spiritually sick. It's just that some of us don't realize it. The Pharisees certainly didn't. The good news is that Jesus welcomes everyone, and especially those who recognize their spiritual illness. We recognize our shortcomings. Jesus has arms that are open wide, even to those who have made terrible decisions in the past. His arms are open wide to those who have done horrible things in the past. Jesus welcomes everybody, and he makes it really clear that that's why he came. And when I read a passage like this, I'm encouraged on a couple of fronts. I'm encouraged for those that that maybe feel like, now God doesn't want anything to do with me. 
For those that have made really bad decisions or done some really bad stuff in the past, I just want to tell you today, I want to remind you, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. But it's also a great reminder to those that are followers of Christ already. And I would say as a church body, it's a great reminder to us of what we're to be all about. I hope our desire as a church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that means we welcome everyone. That means that we especially realize that there is a need to take the good news to those who are far from God. I'm praying that we see significant progress in reaching people who are far from God in 2024. That is a really uh, heavy burden that, that I'm carrying these days. And I'm excited about it. That burden sounds negative. That's, I don't mean that in a negative sense. A more passion maybe is a, is a better word for that. A, a, a deep felt passion for us as a church to reach our community and especially those who are far from God. And let me tell you how I see that happening. I see that happening because individual people who make up the body of Christ, you and me, because we're actively loving and serving those who aren't believers. I see us sharing our stories of faith in Christ. I see us inviting neighbors over for dinner. I see us inviting coworkers to go to lunch so that we can talk about who Christ is. I, I see us getting involved in organizations and events in our neighborhoods and in our community so that we have the opportunity to build relationships with people who are far from God. I see us praying fervently for our friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers who don't have that relationship with him yet. I see us inviting people to church. And when we do invite them to church, when they walk through the doors, I see them being welcomed with open arms. I see people walking through these doors every Sunday who aren't your average church people because they've heard that this is a place where even those who are really messed up can find hope and, and can be made whole. And as a result of that desire to reach out and to love, I see our baptistry being worn out this year. I see people coming to faith in Christ that are children and students and adults. I see our, our junior highs and our high schools being transformed because of you, because you are going out and sharing the good news of the gospel. That's what this should motivate us to do. Did anybody see the movie that came out last year called Jesus Revolution? I'm just curious if anybody saw that. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great movie. It, it deserves a woo. Yeah, that's good. The, it's the story of Calvary Chapel. Chuck Smith, the pastor who founded that. And there is a scene in particular. So he's uh, pastoring this church. It's kind of a smaller, um, been around for a long time, mostly older members, very traditional type approach. And these... Jesus freaks, these barefooted hippies, start showing up at their church. And you can imagine that makes people uncomfortable and those that are very conservative and very, you know, they're not sure how to respond to this. And at one point, they're in church. And Chuck Smith, who's, who's played by Kelsey Grammer in the movie, but he's communicating and he's, he says to these hippies, he says, I want you to know our, the doors to this church are always open. You can always come in. And then he speaks to the older members of his church, and he says, and the doors work both ways. If you're not comfortable with that, they work going out just as well as they were coming in. And this one older member who'd been frustrated, he stands up and he just storms out the back door. He's gone. And then this second 
older member stands up and you're waiting for him to storm out the door and leave. And rather than going out the back door, he's, he moves where he, where he is because you know, all the hippies are on one side and all the older church members are on the other side. He stands up, walks over, and just sits down with all the hippies. He's like, let's have church together, right? It was fantastic. It's a great scene. It's a great picture of who we should be as the church. When we see people that look different, talk different, dress different, that we say, you're welcome here. There's a place for you here. And we're, we're, not only is there a place for you, we're, we're going to lock arms together. That's, that's what I see happening in our church. And, and Gateway Family, i got to tell you, our church does a great job of welcoming people. I don't ever worry about when somebody walks in the door, they're going to be shamed. or trained. I don't worry about that. We do a great job there. But can I just be blunt and say this? We're not even beginning to scratch the surface of reaching people who are far from God like we need to. I think we respond well when they come. We are not nearly as active in building those relationships and inviting and and bringing people to Christ as we need to be. Jesus welcomes everyone. That should motivate us to reach out. The second thing I see is that Jesus sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And I say that because he saw Matthew, who was a tax collector. Why in the world would he invite a tax collector to become part of his inner circle? That doesn't make sense from our perspective anyway. The only answer is he saw something in Matthew that Matthew couldn't have even seen in himself at the time. Jesus invites Matthew into his inner circle. And I just want to remind us today that Jesus sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And that's because he sees who we will become, not just who we are. He's able to see past our limitations, our sinfulness, and stuff we get stuck in. And he sees that once we come to faith in him, once we begin to follow him, we have the Holy Spirit come to live in us. In fact, the Bible tells us, my favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He sees who we can be, the new creation in Christ. But not only that. He knows the empowering that will come with the Holy Spirit in us. He knows that the Spirit will give us gifts and, and will work through us. And he takes someone like Matthew, who is a tax collector, and he sees him as a future author of one of the books of, the, of one of the Gospels that we have in our Bible. He does the same thing with you. He sees beyond where you are currently. As if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear me say this. God's plans for your future are not limited by the mistakes of your past. Let me just say that again. That's so important. God's plans for your future are not limited by the mistakes of your past. Matthew made some mistakes, big time mistakes. There are plenty of other people in the Bible that made a lot of mistakes. I mean, the, the person, Abraham, that we look at as the example of faith, the, the father of the Jewish nation, made some big mistakes. On two different occasions, he convinced his wife to tell a king that she wasn't married to him. That was his brother because he was afraid he would be killed if they found that out. He did that a couple of times. You look at Moses, who led the people out of slavery after over 400 years. He murdered someone. You look at King David, described as a man after God's own heart. He committed adultery with the wife of one of his military generals. Got her pregnant. Then try to cover it up by having him come home and trying to get her to sleep with her, and he wouldn't, so he ends up having him killed. 
I mean, you go to the New Testament. Like, I would argue the two most significant characters, the most significant people in the New Testament as far as a spiritual impact would be Peter and Paul. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus before he was killed. And Paul was a religious terrorist. He was putting people to death before he came to Christ. We can have a lot of confidence looking at, at what God has done with people that had really messed up past that God's plans for our future are not limited by the mistakes of our past. He sees beyond where we currently are, and he sees where he wants to take us. That happens as we uh, enter into relationship with him that, that changes us. Jesus said, go and learn, verse 13. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's saying, look, I'm not interested in all your rules you're following. This is from Hosea 6, 6, a quote from the Old Testament. I'm more concerned about what's in the heart. It reminded me of what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, the message God gave him for the people. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they've been taught. See, the Pharisees, that's the Pharisees. It's all about the rules. Jesus was all about relationship. So we learn from Matthew that we respond in faith. In his case, that was to physically leave his tax booth and follow Jesus. In our case, to respond in faith just simply means that, that we trust in Christ. Maybe not that we physically leave behind you know, something that we're doing, but, but we do leave our past behind. Following Jesus means saying yes to him. It means trusting him. I mean, so think about all the people that were invited to follow Jesus that didn't. And one of the first ones that comes to mind for me is uh, the person we call the rich young ruler, right? Where Jesus invited him to come follow him. And it says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And he says that he went away very sad because he didn't want to give up his possessions. He, he, the price was too high. There are other examples like that where people are invited to follow Jesus, but they don't. It's not a given that Matthew would say yes and follow Christ, but he does. He responds in faith. And that's one of the most important things we can learn from, from him is that when Jesus gives an invitation, and yes, he welcomes us with open arms. And yes, it's true that you know, God's plans for our future are not limited by the mistakes of our past, but that's only true as long as we are responding in faith. If we reject Christ, then we're going to be stuck in the consequences of our sin. We're going to be separated from God in this life. We're going to miss out on his purpose. We're going to miss out on his peace. And we're going to miss out on being with him for eternity if we reject him. Because we'll be separated from God forever. Not just in this life, but forever if we reject him. But if we respond in faith, as Matthew did, and follow Christ, we receive forgiveness. We are brought into the family of God. There's so much that comes from that. So it's up to us to respond in faith. That's what we see Matthew doing here. Responding in faith. But then there's the second thing that we can learn from Matthew, and that is that we must introduce others to Jesus. I love the description here in verse 10 where it says, Many tax collectors and sinners came. 
So they're having dinner. Jesus is there. His disciples are there, which speaks to the likelihood of Matthew's wealth, by the way, because he's got all the disciples, Jesus, and many other tax collectors. It's a large home. They're all gathered together. And how, the question is, how they get there? Why are all these tax collectors and sinners at Matthew's home? And it's not a trick question. I think the answer is simple, because he invited them. <laughs> he had a relationship with them. He invited them to come. So Matthew is invited to follow Jesus. He does follow Jesus. He gets excited about it, and he invites Jesus to his home. And what does he do? He brings all of his friends who are in the same situation that he was in. He wants them to meet Jesus as well. Such a powerful lesson there of us learning to introduce our friends to Christ. What an example of what he is doing here. You and I should also seek to introduce our unbelieving friends to Jesus. Now, you might have noticed that I made an assumption there. My assumption is that you actually have unbelieving friends. And if you don't, it's a problem. Look, I, I get the importance of biblical community. We talk about it all the time here. We want to surround ourselves with other believers. That's absolutely true. Helps us to grow in our faith. That's why we're always harping on, you know, get involved in small groups and students do your thing where you, you know, get with other students and doing your Wednesday night stuff and Sunday morning stuff. I mean, all that's so important. It's important for us to be in connect groups and it's important for us to serve together. You build community that way, right? That, that's important. But one of the worst things that can happen to a person who comes to faith in Christ is that they leave behind all their relationships with people that don't know him. I know sometimes we need a little separation, right? Sometimes maybe you're, you're, you're hanging out with a group of friends and they're leading you down a path that is not a God-honoring path and it's not a healthy path. And so you might need some separation from that for a, for a period of time so that you aren't pulled down that path again. I totally get that and that's valid. But don't lose the connections and relationships there. I mean, Matthew had an opportunity because of the relationships he developed. As a tax collector, everybody hated him. They were all rejects, so they, they kind of hung out together. Nobody else wanted to have anything to do with them. So all the tax collectors and the sinners, as they were called, they were a close-knit community. Matthew had those relationships. What a shame it would have been if Matthew would have said, oh, well, I'm no longer part of that, so I'm going to forget those people entirely. What he did was he said, I want you all to come meet Jesus. I want, I want you to see who this guy is. He changed my life, and he can change yours. I mean, he didn't say that that we have record of, but that's the idea. Same thing we should do. Look for those opportunities within the, the area of influence that we have uh, to, to lead people toward Christ. Last week, I gave you the uh, little uh, impact card and encouraged you to write down the names of three people. And if you didn't get one of those, we have them still scattered around different places in the church. But just to write down the names of three people that you're seeking to impact spiritually. And you pray for them every day. And you look for an opportunity to share Christ. And then you invite them to church. You realize that you cannot do number two and number three without a relationship. You could pray for somebody. And, and that's a good thing that you don't know. But you can't seek to share your, your faith verbally with somebody you don't know. You can't seek to invite someone to church without knowing them or having a relationship with them. That's so important for us to take advantage of those relationships. So figure out what that looks like for you. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just as simple as getting to know a neighbor, you know? 
You see your neighbor out working in the yard, go out and just say hello. If you don't have a relationship, just kind of start casually. I wouldn't suggest going out there and, you know, with your Bible in hand and ready to unload. But develop a relationship. Maybe at some point as that relationship builds, invite them over for dinner. Be intentional about that. People that you work with, could you offer to, to go to lunch with somebody, get to know them better? Now, some of you I know are hearing this and going, I, if, if it involves reaching out to people, I'm out. I can't do that. That scares me to death. Let me just say, well, could you be a listening ear to someone? Could you just let somebody know that you care? Could you do something as simple as writing a note to somebody that you work with to encourage them and maybe attach a little scripture verse or something to it, but just, just to let them know, I care about you, I'm praying for you, whatever it may be. We all have different gifts. We all have uh, you know, different different ways of approaching things, but I don't think we can let ourselves off the hook to say, well, it's not my job to seek to lead someone to Christ. It is. Every single one of us, we should have relationships with people that don't know Jesus simply because our lives have been changed. Matthew took advantage of that. And you know what's not recorded in Matthew's gospel that is recorded in Mark? Read Mark chapter 2, which is the parallel passage, and it actually says that many of them came to faith. Pretty cool. Of these people that Matthew invited to his home to meet Jesus, Mark says that many of them came to faith in Christ. Today, I just want to remind you again that the mistakes of your past do not negate God's plans for your future. That there is forgiveness. There is the opportunity to start fresh. If anyone's in Christ, that person is a new creation. You can start over today. But it begins by responding in faith. If there's never been a time where you have truly said yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to follow you. I want to urge you to do that today. I'm speaking to those that are here with me. I'm speaking to those that are joining us online. I urge you today to ask yourself the question, do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have received the gift of forgiveness that Christ offers? The only way we get there is through what Jesus did for us. He died in our place He gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. Again, sin, anything we say, do, or think that falls short of God's standard, that's all of us. Our sin separates us from God, but Jesus came to reunite us, to bring us back together. And I want to give you an opportunity today, if there's never been a time where you have prayed a prayer of trust in Jesus. Again, you can do this here, you can do this online as you're joining us there, wherever you are. This is a prayer that you could pray just to say yes to Christ. So let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. If today you're ready to say yes to Christ and to accept the forgiveness that he offers, I just want to invite you. Pray a prayer with me like this. And I'll pause after each phrase and allow you to pray this back to God. Let's pray. Jesus, I realize today how much I need you. I also confess that I am a sinner. I thank you that you came for those who are sick because that's me. Right now, I turn away from 
my own path. Jesus, I put my full trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Right now, I surrender to you as Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child today. In your name I pray. Amen.